Stacy's going to come up and do a little testimony and uh, share uh, a little bit with us. So, Stacy, are you in the room? Let's see here. There she is. Okay, come on up. So, in um, psychology, they talk a lot about nature versus nurture, and um, which has more of an effect on who a person is. And I'm, I'm a big proponent that it takes both to really make a person. Um, and so, uh, in, um, on, there's a lot of different psychology tests out there. And um, in one made by the Greeks years ago, it says that I'm a melancholy. And in a melancholy, um, they're prone to perfectionism and moodiness and self-doubt, and they're an introverted. So a lot of times, all of those thoughts and all of that kind of spins around in their head all the time, and um, they don't really, um, they kind of live in their head, and that definitely describes me a lot. Lots of fun in there. And um, as far as my nurture, I grew up in the military, so we moved around a lot. And then um, my, as far as my, my circumstances as a childhood and then um, as an adult, a lot of um, unfortunate things um, led me to believe that I couldn't rely on a lot of people. And so it was just me and God. So there's very few people in my life that I have um, felt that I could talk to and that ever know my goals and dreams and thoughts. So again, it's all in here. Um, so most of my life, um, my thought revolves around picking myself apart, my intelligence, my looks, my personality, my motherhood, my walk with God, um, my marriage, you know, it's all negative that goes in there. And then I pick others apart, and then I tell myself how awful I am because I shouldn't be doing that either. Um, and uh, I worry over everything. Um, and it uh, leads for me to be a pretty miserable person. Um, lots of sharp words for others, even though I'm pretty empathetic and loving. Um, it doesn't come out. It often comes out pretty sharp. And uh, it stifles God quite a bit. <clears throat> well, years ago I read The New Spirit-Controlled Woman by um, Beverly LaHaye. Uh, her wife, or her husband, Tim, wrote one that's not gender-specific, if anybody's interested. Great book. It talks about the personalities and how to become spirit-filled so that you don't um, exude the worst of those characteristics. Um, great book, but what it told me is that I needed to do better, which is good, but it also didn't answer how to do better. Um, so what I did is I just tried harder. Um, and it seems like that should be easy because I love God and I believe in God. So um, you pray more about the situations going on in my head and I read more Bible studies and the Word and um, more self-help books because if I can be better then, then that means that I'll be better about all these situations. Um, and God is miraculous um, and he blessed me more and he answered my prayers more um, and life around me was great because God is wonderful but um, my head never got better. Um, 
because I still wasn't fixing that problem. That, that didn't get fixed by doing better. Um, so um, last year we did a, um, like a book club here and we read this book called Speak Life and uh, it seems like such a simple answer and I don't really know why I never figured it out um, because it still involved prayer but instead of praying about the circumstances that were always going on in my head, um, it had to do with praying about my self-conversation. Um, it had to do with having a conversation with God about my conversations with me and my conversations with others. And, um, you know, a book can't fix everything. But what I found is that when I start to spiral, I have to stop and talk to God about my conversations. And it seems like, I don't know how I didn't figure that out sooner, but um, it, it's amazing how um, my negative talk had become my comfort zone just like drugs work for an addict. And God had to be my antidote. And while we're on this earth, really we have to look for progress instead of perfection. And so every day is two steps forward and one step back. I'm never gonna be there, and there's good and bad. But um, I'm definitely much happier today than I was yesterday, and I speak more positively to others when I stop and pray to him before those conversations, and when I wake up every day, and when I'm in that shower, and all of a sudden I'm spiraling about that negative talk about today's gonna suck because of whatever's gonna happen, and whatever happened yesterday, and hate, bad, stop this talk. Um, and he's just so amazing when you just talk to him about what is actually going on and stop trying to work and let him be your cure. And so, that's all I had to say. All right. Well, thank you, Stacy. I appreciate that. It's always hard to get up and share. We're going to talk about the tongue today, a passage from James, and, uh, and so it's important how we talk to ourselves as well as how we talk to others. So let's pray and we'll get into the message this morning. Dear God, I thank you for today. I thank you for each person here, whether they're joining us from across the country via the internet or in Fairbanks and, and uh having some challenges with COVID or whatever, we just, uh, uh, we just thank you that people have joined us today, that we are gathering in this kind of unique way in person and over the internet. Lord, I just lift up our church, I lift up our community, I lift up our country, and we ask for your leading and your wisdom, and we long for revival and renewal and repentance as a people. 
Lord, we just pray that you would uh, guide those who exercise authority in different areas uh, in our lives. Lord, I pray that you will open our minds to what the word has to teach us today. And Lord, we lift up our ones. At the beginning of the year, we thought about who in our life is not a follower, who has not accepted your good news of Jesus dying for our sins. And I, I just lift up each of those ones. And Lord, I pray that you'll give us opportunities to serve them, to love them, uh, to authentically walk next to them in life, the good and the bad of, of their lives. And Lord, help us to have the boldness and the courage to share the gospel when given the chance. Lord, we want as many people, people as possible in heaven. We just ask for your blessing in our time together. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Susan Scott, a business author, secular uh, as far as I can tell, she talks about life, uh, whether it's succeeding or failing, happens one conversation at a time. We need to think about the fact that really much of life, whether it's your business, whether it's your marriage, is one long extended conversation in many ways. And Conversation can go well, it can be edifying, it can be encouraging, or it can be very painful. You probably learned the little saying when you were a kid, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I actually object to that saying. I think it should be something like this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can break my heart. I think we've all been there, we've all had those moments where we have experienced sharp words from someone. Maybe it was your parent who said you were a mistake. Maybe it was a parent who told you you would never succeed. Maybe it was a friend who said, don't call me anymore. Maybe it was your spouse who said, I, I never loved you. I want you to think about, Craig Groeschel asked a great question, and this is the question. What are the phrases etched in your memory that have shaped your life? What are the phrases etched in your memory that have shaped your life? I have a list of positive ones I could give you where people spoke powerful blessing into my life and I could also share with you some very negative ones that stand out. Sometimes one word can be powerful. I love the story of Butchner Fanning who tells about his time in World War II. He was a Marine. And of all places, he served in Nagasaki, Japan, three weeks right after uh, America had dropped the atomic bomb on that city. Can you imagine being an American soldier, walking through and being among the people that survived a devastating attack from your country? And you can wrestle with, you know, whether that was a good decision, bad decision by the United States and all of that. But here he is, a soldier representing his country, walking through the aftermath of that. And he said he found this little Methodist church. And he didn't know how he would be received. And he said, I went to the church and I walked in and he said, I didn't know much Japanese, but he said, Every Japanese Christian in that church made a point to come to him. Clearly an American, he was in uniform, 
And they all greeted him with the word brother. And he said, that word to this day has real power for me. Words matter. Your tongue matters. And we need to understand this, both for the good and the negative. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. It's a longer passage, but I want to read this to you. It's, there's some negative in this passage, but James is warning us about our tongues. You know, we need to use and look at our tongues as both like a tool and, honestly, uh, many use it as a weapon. I want to encourage you as I read through this passage to watch for the word pictures because James likes to illustrate and he gives several word pictures. He says this, James 1, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's not a verse I use in recruiting small group leaders, uh, but it is important because apparently when James was writing to these Christian believers around the Mediterranean, there were people struggling with the fact, you know, there is something to being up front. There is something to being a teacher or a preacher or a leader. And he reminds you, say, look, there's a lot more opportunities there to mess up. You have to make your life match your words and you're going to be judged more strictly. I remember a professor had in, in seminary that would literally critique us if, in, if he thought we said something wrong in a prayer or just something in class. And his goal was, he said this, because somebody asked him about it, said, you're pretty hard on us. And he said, look, in your ministry, in your leadership, you could affect hundreds, possibly thousands and thousands of people. I want you to walk out of here understanding the truth. So whether you're a teacher at work, whether you're a teacher in the church, whether you are a parent, which certainly has wrapped in at the role of teacher, we need to be aware of this. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect you could also translate that mature, able to keep their whole body in check. So notice that I think all of us struggle with this. Even if you feel like, well, I don't sin in this way or that way or this way, and we have our list, most of us, I think, would have to say the tongue gets us from time to time. Verse 3 when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. So here's a picture. We can turn the whole animal. So notice the little tiny bit can turn a powerful animal. Verse 4, take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder. So notice the power of the tongue, the small part of our body, yet can set the direction and the course of our life and our relationships wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. See, once again, small, big. Small but powerful. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on, the fire, set on fire by hell. Notice the strong language there. 
our tongues can get us into real trouble there. We have to make sure that they are under the lordship of Jesus Christ or we can do incredible damage, whether it's to our children, our spouses, fellow church members, co-workers. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, don't lose all hope here. Understand that just as a you know, pilot on a ship can steer the ship with a small rudder, uh, just as um, the animal, the powerful horse, can be steered by the one riding the horse, if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, Savior in your life, he can steer you even in this regard, even in this difficult uh, area of life for all of us. But outside of Christ, we're not going to be able to tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Notice the strong language again. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. We have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. By lots of deeds, lots of things that we do, but today kind of focusing on what we say and how we say it. Phillips Brooks once said that character is made up in the small moments of our lives. If you watch a person speak long enough, you know what's in their heart. You understand where they're coming from. You understand what they value. You see how they view people. So when I look at this particular passage, let me pull out just a few ideas that hopefully will help us understand where James is going here. I think he's pretty straightforward. And we're going to be in James for a couple weeks because I think it's a great practical book that God has given us. The first is that we need to acknowledge the difficulty of handling the tongue. Acknowledge the difficulty. I think we are quick to look at other sins and think, okay, maybe I have victory over here. But this one, for whatever reason, people... You know, well, this isn't a big deal. You know, you tell a lie once in a while. You gossip just a little bit or whatever it might be. But the tongue has real power and we need to, we need to acknowledge it's difficult to handle. If you look at verse 2 and 7 and 8, I'm not going to read it all to you, but notice it says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. It's kind of like, in some ways, it feels like it's the last thing. And as somebody who's been in ministry for a long time, I'll, I do watch this. You know, maybe um, the person, okay, they were acting out sexually, but now they're not doing that anymore. And they've been in the church, been walking with Jesus for a decade. But boy, they're still struggling with sins of the tongue. And so... You know, it talks about in verse 7 and 8 all these different animals that you can tame. But on your own, you can't fully tame the tongue. We've all had those moments 
where you say something, you're like, as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And you also have, as a parent, you know, we have five kids, we have moments where you're like, oh, I wish that little kid hadn't said that, you know? And usually that moment is they're repeating something you said, right? And so we need to acknowledge the difficulty of handling the tongue. It really can be a problem, and it reveals the heart in so many ways. I was reading about a famous minister, I won't tell you who he was, a theologian. I like his books, I think he has a lot of good things to say, but his grown-up son, who stepped away from the faith, he talked about how one time he asked his dad, or he was in the room when somebody asked his dad, excuse me, that's how it was, somebody was in the room, he was just listening, and somebody asked his father, this famous theologian, and said, so what other Christian leaders, Christian teachers, Christian preachers would you recommend that people could study under, read their books, whatever? And he said, my my famous father paused for a moment and said, I don't recommend anyone. Ouch. Think of the pride that comes out of a statement like that. I don't recommend anyone. The tongue reveals the heart. And it's difficult to contain at times. It really can sneak out on you. And so avoiding sin with the tongue Making it an instrument and a tool for God's grace and truth and mercy requires real maturity. I stand amazed, for many reasons, at the sinless life of Jesus Christ. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. He dealt with the same challenges that we all deal with, and yet he never sinned once in word or deed. He somehow walked that line and it wasn't nice and neat where everything Jesus said was, was nice. He was actually very confrontational. We'll talk a little more about that. But we need to see this. Um, there should not be separation between your actions and your speech. Those should match up as much as possible. So the, next, so the first idea is acknowledge the difficulty of managing, of handling your tongue. Let's just admit we're all in this together. It's difficult. It's hard. The second idea is the power of the tongue. Just acknowledge that, the power of the tongue. When you look at this, verse 3 and 4 and 5, you see the bit in the mouth of a powerful horse, and yet that little bit can turn a horse. You see the rudder of a ship can turn a mighty ship. The tongue has real power in your relationships. It's a small part of the body, and yet it can change our directions. It's like a spark. And we in Alaska, we have forest fires, and we see the massive damage that can be done from a forest fire. I'm always amazed when you'll, you'll drive through an area that's been burned, and you just look for, looks like miles, and you just see the mark on the landscape from that forest fire. The scripture tells us in Proverbs 18.21, one I go back to in my thinking a lot, is the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Your tongue has the power, both when you talk to yourself and when you talk to others, of offering life or offering death. 
And we need to think about it. Craig Groeschel once said about words, he said, creative words create, destructive words destroy, hurtful words crush, helpful words build up, toxic words poison, soothing words heal. Faith-filled words bring life, and faithless words bring death. It is important that we remember the weight of our words before we speak. Earlier in this book, in James 1.19, it says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We are so quick to speak in our culture. So quick to speak. And I don't know what it is, but it seems like social media magnifies this tendency in an incredible way. And I, I talk about this because I'm just so shocked by it, how all of us on Facebook, everybody's an expert in whatever the next big thing is. And it just, it's incredible. We're so quick to speak. It's okay to say, I don't know. I'm not going to take a position on this or that. It's okay to say, I haven't studied this particular issue. That's okay. Slow to speak. My father, who's a remarkable guy, he's slow to speak. I actually wish he would talk a little more than he does. But when he says something, it's usually profound. And those that served on the leadership team, he was, he's been in the ministry um, really since Old Testament times, is what I like to kid him about. But he's been in the ministry a long time. He's retired now. But I would hear from other leaders, and they said, you know, he, Dean doesn't say much in the meetings, but whatever he says is valuable and important. Your words have weight. But if you're just shooting your mouth off all the time, you know, there's even a proverb that talks about where there are many words, there's sin. So many of us need to just stop and think before we speak. Think before we post. If you write an angry email or an angry letter, never, ever send the first draft. Right? Have you done that? At least set it aside. Let somebody else read it. Someone who can speak into your life. And make sure that you're slow to speak. That right there can help us profoundly. Listen to this. This is a sobering verse. This is earlier in James. James 1.26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. That's one you ought to spend some time thinking about. That's a verse we ought to hit pause and go, wow. James is telling me that this faith that I claim is worthless, that I'm deceiving myself if I don't have a tight rein on my tongue. I don't know about you, that, that's a, quite a verse. That's something to think about. And he gives these examples, you know, in this bigger text that show us that power of that tongue. And so, stop and look at this. Our words matter. So, 
The tongue has power. It has power for evil. Think about how much evil in the world has happened because somebody lied. Wars have started. Relationships have been destroyed. uh, Jobs have been lost. And we see that dishonesty often marks people's lives. And it's, it's painful. And it guts trust. It guts it. And I'm surprised to see it like in the life of Abraham, one of the fathers of our faith. But you see it. You see he had a trouble with lying. When he got in a jam, you had this beautiful wife and he thought, oh, the local king might want her. Abraham had this tendency to reach for a lie. We've got to be people who tell the truth. Because the tongue, we don't want to use it for evil. The tongue can be used for blaming. It goes all the way back to the garden. You know, Adam and Eve are in trouble. They've broken the one command they were given. And God comes to Adam and Adam blames Eve and God. Eve blames the serpent. And so you see that. You see Abraham and Sarah, who I just mentioned, you know, who God used to bring out a nation, to bring forth a nation of Israel. And Abraham and Sarah, Sarah comes to Abraham at one point. They've been, they've been promised a miracle child, but it had been years. God didn't act within weeks. He didn't act within months. He didn't act even within, I mean, decades, we think. Many years. And they're waiting, and at some point in that time, Sarah comes to Abraham and says, well, I've got an idea. How about you sleep with the handmaiden, Hagar, and we'll build a family through her? That's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. Abraham does it, and he's got to own that, but then later she yells at him, and it's just a classic scene where she yells at Abraham about how this has ruined you know, things and, and this, this lady has to go, this handmaiden has to go. And she blames him. And you're like, wait a minute, Sarah. Whose idea was this? And so we need to see that the tongue has great power for evil. Proverbs 15.4 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. You ever had somebody crush your spirit with a tongue? It can happen. There's gossip. Proverbs 16.28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. You ever watch that happen? My favorite illustration that one teacher did to try to illustrate what happens with gossip, you remember the old feather pillows and gossip was kind of running rampant and he said look and the person finally came and apologized but it had just gone out about this this leader and he ripped open out in the in on a windy day this feather filled pillow and the feathers went everywhere and he said that's what gossip does and there's no way to clean it all up gossip is powerful and with the platform and the megaphone everyone's been given in social media gossip is, is even worse in some ways in our day. Warren Wearsby, one of my favorite authors, tells about a minister friend of his that this lady who really, really was a gossip in his church, and she comes to see him, and she's a pretty dramatic personality and liked attention and all this stuff and was just really a problem. And she came to this minister, and Wearsby tells this story. He didn't identify who he was, and 
and comes to him and says, you know, um, I, need to, I need to stop. I need to change. But the minister knew her. They'd been down this road many, many times. This was, she liked to do showy things. And she said, I want to go forward in, in our church and lay my tongue on the altar. And the pastor said, you know, he said, our altar's not big enough. And he got up and walked out. Now, I don't know. Should he have said that? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Gossip is painful. If you've ever been the victim of it, it's painful. And it's something that you need to step back and go, am I doing it? And try to make it right. So there's power for evil, and you could go on and on. There's so many ways we could sin with our tongue. So many ways. I mean, criticism, which is often tied to gossip. Uh, you know, there's just all these ways. I mean, Jesus, the only person who lived sinlessly, was criticized constantly. They called him a, a wine-bibber. He was a drunk, they thought, because he hung out with those who, who liked to party. They called him a glutton because he was at those parties. They, they, they watched miracles. This is what blows my mind. They watched Jesus do miracles, open the eyes of the blind, heal the lame, raise the dead. And what did his critics say about him? They said, well, he does it by the power of the devil. Wow. Miracles right in front of him. They couldn't deny the miracles, but then they go after him. They said, well, the source must be the devil. Criticism, it's, it's profound. And we do it to each other. It's been done to you. It's been done to me. And it's just part of it. It's part of life. But we as Christian people need to cut that off. So there's power for evil with the tongue. There's also power for good. It says in James 3, 9 of our text, it says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. So a positive way is to praise the Lord our Father. And praise literally means to bless. And so we, in a sense, we bless God. We affirm God. We celebrate God. And I'm not going to unpack that a lot just because we spent, you know, 25 minutes this morning praising God. And that's a wonderful way that we can use our tongues for the good. There is something about worship and if you don't have a private worship built into your life, I strongly encourage you to try that. There is, it's, it's amazing. Uh, when you're down, when you're struggling, to just take some time and to, you know, it, it depends on the personality, you know, to lay on the floor and pray, to pace the room and sing your favorite uh, Christian songs. What, whatever it is to kneel, I think there's power in kneeling. It reminds us who we're dealing with. But to praise God is a wonderful way that the tongue can do good to praise God. I also think that, and I love what one author says, he says this, Brady Boyd, uh, the book Speak Life, he says, I want to speak words that gladden the heart of God. Wow, if we watched a video of our conversations over the last week, would our words gladden the heart of God? That's quite a standard. 
But I love that. And it's not just what we say about God, it's what we say about each other because, I mean, let's be honest, many of you are parents, but if you bless my children, if you speak well of my children, if you see the good in my children, we're probably going to get along fairly well, right? not saying you can't ever tell me something negative, but if you curse my children, we're not going to get along that well at all. And it's the same with God. And so when you curse his children, there's going to be problems But it amazes me the power the tongue has for good. Jesus can have a short conversation with a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman, and her entire eternal destiny is transformed and changed. And her village is changed. This woman went from being an outcast to a leader, and many in the village followed Jesus Christ because of a conversation between him and a Samaritan woman. I think about Peter launches the church at Pentecost, this festival, this celebration, and he preaches the very first Christian sermon, so to speak. And it goes out to the Jews of the nations. People from Jewish, people from all over the world had come for Passover and stayed for Pentecost. And, and they're there. And that message changed eternal destinies. It's remarkable. It's amazing. The power of the tongue for good. A conversation you have with your lost friend or loved one could change everything for them. It can make a huge difference. Now, I'll be honest. When I read this passage in James, there's not tons of positive. So I want to give you another passage, Just and I, and I won't be long here, but 2 Timothy 4.2, where Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, writes to a young man he's mentoring, and notice what he says. Now, Timothy actually functions as a minister or a Christian leader, but I think you can apply this to all of us in many ways. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I would combine correct and rebuke into just saying truth-telling. Or I love what one business author, she describes this idea as radical candor. Radical candor. Truth-telling. To preach, to correct, to rebuke. Those are strong words. There are times we're called to be truth-tellers. In an age of fake news, in an age of lies and spin, we are people who tell the truth. And... That can be hard, it can be difficult, but we're called to do that in our personal relationships, in our life, in all aspects of our life. Another author um, who wrote Fierce Conversations, Susan Scott, I like her image. She says, all of us on our desk, it's like we have an inbox, an outbox, and a um, it's too hard, I don't want to do it box. And this is where this calling to be a truth teller pushes us into those hard conversations where we are to sometimes correct and rebuke. You can't look at James, who wrote this book. You can't look at Jesus, who is our Savior and Lord. You can't look at Paul the Apostle and say that the Christian ethic, when it comes to the tongue, is just always be nice. You can't say that. The Christian ethic, when it comes to the tongue, is you're called to truth, Sometimes hard, uncomfortable truth, but that is part of what we're called to. And so we have these moments. 
I think where it stands out is, is goofy things like if you've ever watched the beginning of America's Got Talent or American Idol, these, these shows, these talent shows where a singer gets up and they are absolutely horrible, right? And they think they're good. And it's one of those moments where you're like, nobody had the courage to tell them. The parents wouldn't accept the responsibility, the siblings, the friend, the, nobody had the courage. We we're called to be truth tellers. I think of Nathan the prophet who, David, King David, who was a good man in many, many ways, but boy, he veered off the course when he had an affair with, with uh, Bathsheba and then had her husband killed to cover it up. And Nathan the prophet came in and told a parable, told a story, and just riled up David. David condemns what this person in the parable and the story does, and Nathan spends it at great risk to himself, even his own life. I mean, David has just killed a man to cover up this affair, and Nathan the prophet stands before the king and says, you're the man. You're the wicked one who's done this. You're the man. We're called to be truth-tellers. This is going to get harder and harder in our culture. Our culture does not embrace truth. It embraces spin. It embraces taking polls, and that's how we discern truth. We stand on eternal, unchanging truth that is across all cultures and across all time. The Bible is the Word of God. It is where we stand. We can count on it, we can live it out, and we can share it. And we help each other in this because peer pressure is challenging for people. It's very difficult. One of the classic studies was Solomon Ash experiment, and they took seven to nine college students, and they would do this over and over again, and they would give them the simple thing where they would show them a card, and they would have multiple lines on the card. So you have all these lines, different lengths, and then they bring out a new card hold it up kind of next to the first one, and they'd say, so is this line, you know, which one is it the same length as? And any of us can get that. Okay, that line is, is the same length as the middle line or same length as the one on the right or whatever. Anybody can do that. It's not hard. But then what they did was they took person after person and they had everybody else in the room pick the wrong line. Well, it's, it's this one and match it wrong. And over and over again, about 70% 70 of the time, the person would bow to the pressure and they knew that this line was not this line, but they would say, well, everybody else is saying it. I'm telling you that's where we're at. And we're going to run into this over and over again. You're going to get more pressure in your workplace. You're going to get more pressure in different settings to acknowledge 37 genders. There's two. Gender is not a social construct. It's God-determined. You're going to get more and more pressure in all these different areas that marriage is whoever loves each other. It can be two people. They can be the same sex. They can be different sexes. It can be four people. I mean, it's coming. We're going to see all of this. But we have to be people. I hope we're winsome. But we have to be truth tellers. And you're going to see 
that this is part of what it means to be a person who follows Jesus with the tongue. Now, what's fascinating about those studies is out of the students, if there were, say, nine people in the room, the one person who's being tested, are they going to bow to the peer pressure? If just one other person backed them, said, no, I think that this line is the same as this line, even though the others all said it, then the person could usually withstand the pressure. If just one other person. And so you have to have the courage to go first and to tell the truth in whatever the setting is. The last idea I want to give you is this, and that is encouragement. This is one of the great ways we can use our tongue for good. In 2 Timothy 4.2, it talks about, you know, we're to do all these things, and then it says, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I was pleased to see yesterday in Fairbanks, and even the governor came, it was this celebration uh, kind of, of affirmation and affirming the police officers. You know how tough this has got to be to be a police officer in this season, at this moment in our country? And I appreciated that, that people gathered to say, you know what, we get that this is a hard job, and we appreciate what you do, and we stand with you. Now, are there some bad police officers? Absolutely. Is there racism in our country? Absolutely. But a whole lot of police officers are amazing and risk their lives for our community. And so we need to be people who speak the truth and offer encouragement where we can. And somebody like that, we need to come alongside and offer encouragement. How can you offer encouragement to people in your life? I love a scene from a movie several years old now called The Help. I don't know if you saw this particular film. It was in the Deep South and... And it was about primarily this one lady, and she served as kind of a nanny and a maid in this particular home. And she had this little girl who was pretty neglected by the parents. And she would hold that little girl, and there was a kind of a recurring scene where over and over again she would say to this little girl, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And she was giving this little girl, who the parents weren't putting much into, this blessing of encouragement. I apologize to the English teachers, but I love the scene. Encouragement matters. Truett Cathy, the famous Christian businessman, said, how do you identify um, who needs encouragement? And he said, well, that person is breathing. That's who needs encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement, one way or another. And so it's important that we do this. They actually did a study. uh, It was um, Henry H. Goddard, on energy levels in children, they hooked up children to this device called an ergograph, and it apparently measures energy, and, um, and they would see how the kids responded to words of others. And so if a kid was praised or complimented or encouraged, his energy level would go up. If a child was criticized or you know, insulted, that kind of thing, the child's energy would go down. I mean, there was this response that's powerful. Encouragement is amazing. You know, the church I grew up at that ordained me into the ministry, I still get cards from them. I've been in the ministry like 26 years. They still send occasional cards just, hey, we're praying for you. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Encouragement is powerful. 
Um, my wife gives some amazing gifts sometimes. Uh, this was my last year's anniversary gift. And in this notebook, every single day my wife would write a memory of our marriage, our family. And so every night I could come in and open it up and read you know, some kind of memory. And I smiled over and over and over again. What a profound gift. Encouragement is powerful if you'll do it, if you'll walk it out. And it can be simple. I was reading about a teacher. Her name was Helen Morosla. She was actually a teaching nun. She was a, a Catholic nun that would teach kids. And she taught third graders. And she tells a story about Mark Eklund. And Mark Eklund was in her class of third graders. And one day, the class, it just wasn't going very well. And so she stopped what she was doing and said, you know what? I'm going to have every one of you uh, write down all the names of the kids in this class. And then you're going to write the most positive thing you can think about these kids, what you think about this child, uh, this friend, this you know, fellow classmate, and had the kids do that. Took the whole rest of the class time. And then what she did was she took all that together, and then she created, she took all their answers for each child and put them all together so each child got like a page or front and back of all the kind things that all the other children said about them. And she didn't think much about it. It was just an activity. Years later, so this is third grade class, years later, she had the sad occasion to go to one of those students' funeral. He was a soldier. Um, his name was Mark Eklund. And he died in Vietnam. And this was a small town and a lot of the people were still around. And she, she went to this funeral. And after the funeral, the parents walked up to her and said, uh, we want to give you this. And they pulled out of his wallet, this grown man, this soldier, this folded up, taped up. It had been opened and reopened and reopened. That exercise, that sheet from third grade. Can you imagine? And then, because it's a small town and a lot of them had stayed in the town, she was just like, what in the world? And these other adults in the room said, I still have mine. And they pulled them out of wallets and purses. You never know what encouragement can do. Your words could change somebody's life. A sobering verse is Matthew 12, 36 and 37. This is Jesus. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. That's something to think about. So let me give you the big idea. The big idea is this, and we'll close. I think you're going to put it up behind me. I want to read it to you, and then I'd like you to read it with me after I read it to you. The big idea is, my words matter, I will speak life. Will you join me in that? My words matter, I will speak life. Let me pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you that you trust us through your lordship with the profound power of the tongue. Lord, I pray that we would be truth tellers, that we would be encouragers, that we would be people who speak words that gladden your heart and those around us.
Lord, thank you for this precious gift to make an impact on other people's lives through words. Lord, help us to be people who realize and remember that our words matter. I lift up this time in the name of Jesus. Amen.